If you want to keep your Bible open, First uh, Samuel 12. My name's Patrick Havens. Happy to be here with you. This is a really enjoyable service. Let me pray. Lord God, we uh, humbly come before you. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, last, uh, this April, my wife and I had a chance to go to the Weekend to Remember. It's a family life conference, marriage retreat. It was, it was great. First time we've ever done it. Um, it's been running over, this weekend has been running over 40 years. They keep sponsoring this. They've had a million and a half couples go through this weekend, a marriage retreat of sorts. But on, on the last day, in the last session of the last day, they, they have you stand up, you take the hand of your bride, your wife, or your husband, you look them in the eyes, and they lead you through a renewal ceremony. Now, you can imagine 40 years, million and a half couples, some of those marriages were weeks away from ending, and those renewals were just huge. God, God was at work. But every marriage felt, oh, yeah, there's always things to renew. There, there, there's little ways we can interact better. There's, there's more I could do. There's more to forgive. There's always things going on. Uh, Family Life put it like this. No marriage is static. Each day, each choice, you're either moving closer together toward oneness or coasting farther apart. God's kingdom... In 1 Samuel, we're learning he relates to his people through a covenant, through a covenant. In uh, chapter 11, we had read uh, this morning, Samuel has called all of Israel together. So hopefully you've been tracking with this series. So they just had a great victory. And he, he's calling them all together in Gilgal. He says this. Come here to go, and there we're going to renew the kingdom. We're going to renew the kingdom. This was the purpose of coming together. Now, the word to renew means there needs a repair in the relationship. Uh, re renewal suggests something's broken. Something's not right. And it's a bit of a surprise because... Um, we just had a great victory. You, you would think everything's fine. We, uh, God raised up Saul. There was a, he defeated Nahash, the Ammonite king. And what is there to renew? This is like the best it's been. <laughs> so, but at the end of uh, verse 15, you can kind of see the difference between Samuel, who's older prophet, an older saint among them. And the last words were all uh, Saul and all of Israel were rejoicing. Notice how it didn't mention Samuel's name. He, he had something deeper he wanted to reflect on about this with them. And maybe you even sensed in the reading he had something to say to the people. But that's what chapter 12 is. It's a it's a renewal ceremony. But it was surprising because they didn't know this. Uh, they didn't quite guess it. 
um, they forgot. How do we even, why do we even need to be rescued? Uh, if you remember from, I, you probably, uh, sermon maybe last week, chapter 11, verse 1, the men of the Israelites, the men of Gil, uh, Jabesh, Gilead, came to Nahash, you know, this Ammonite king, and said, make a treaty with us. The word is, make a covenant with us. That was beginning of chapter And then he said, sure, but it's going to cost you your right eye. So they said, okay, wait a minute. I didn't know it was going to be marrying you. I didn't know it would be that complicated. (laughs) Let's give us seven days to think about this. So that's when God raised up Saul through his spirit, you know, to come rescue them from Nahash. So notice this ceremony, they have to remember, like, you were just about to leave the Lord your God, marry the, make a deal with the devil. (laughs) There's a lot to renew here. We got to, I did rescue you, but you almost left me. You know, let's, let's talk. Let's, so that's what this chapter is about. This is Samuel taking them to go meet the Lord. Say, okay, let, let's, we, there's something we have to deal with here. And that's what this chapter is doing. And so Samuel begins his, really his farewell message. Remember, um, so if you're, real easy way of First and Second Samuel is just remember three people, Samuel, Saul, and David. So Samuel was the first the last judge, and it was transitioned to Saul, the king they asked for, and that will cover the rest of 1 Samuel. And then you're going to hear finally in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the king after God's own heart, David, will come in the picture, and then the rest of Samuel's with David. So, so here we are in this transition of Samuel, the last judge of Israel, to Saul. So this is his farewell message. And it was timely. It was very, very timely. And that's what he begins in, in verse 1 of chapter 12. He's saying, this king you asked for. And by the way, Saul means asked for. So it's kind of ironic. You know, the, the king you asked for is actually his name is asked for. But the irony is deeper than his name. The, uh, it, it, the irony, the real tension here. The king they asked for was, what did they want in this king? What was their motive? It was, it was the king they asked for was to be like all the nations. They didn't, they didn't ask for a king after God's heart. They didn't ask for a king that reflected. Give us a king that reflects your character. They said, we want a king like all the nations because we want to become like all the nations too. This request is going in the opposite direction of God's plan for Israel. This is going in the opposite direction. Um, instead of drawing the nations to worship Yahweh, Israel's saying, oh, we're just going to conform to the nations. Give us a king because we want to be like them. We're, 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 no longer are we going to be a distinct people. We're now just going to blend in to, to you. And so in the Lord's providence and sovereignty, because he did in Deuteronomy, we do know a king was coming. God was going to send a king. But God's going to actually give them Saul. He's going to reign for 40 years. 
It's, it, but it's not the king they need. They ask for it, but it's not what they need. In verse 13, when the, you might have heard read, it's really a done deal. And because and, and, this is what it says. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you've asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So from this point on, in the history of Israel, in the rest of the Old Testament, they'll have a king. It actually will continually be the story. So that's where you get first Second Kings and Chronicles, stories of all these kings. It is, it is now, the Lord said, it's done. You have a king, and this is your first human king, Saul. Um, so Israel failed in their blind passion for a king. They broke the covenant with the Lord. They rejected God as their king. They were rejecting their identity as God's people. And they needed repentance and, and renewal. They needed this service. So this chapter, if you want a main idea from this chapter, you could put it like this. This chapter is a call to renew our allegiance to God as king, for he will not forsake us or be swept away. Renew your allegiance to God as your king, and he will not forsake you or be swept away. So we're going to walk through this renewal ceremony with three statements. Renewal starts with repentance. Renewal is motivated by the fear and the love of God. And lastly, renewal is sustained through prayer and teaching. And well, they're all coming from the text. You'll see it as I go. So this first point is verses 1 through 18. So this is, this is actually a long section, um, like three quarters of his message is this first point. This renewal starts with repentance. So um, pa uh, pastor and cultural apologist Francis Schaeffer, I don't know if you've heard of him or if you have books in the back, but he was once asked that if he had an hour with a secular, self-made man on a train, if he had an hour with him and he was open to discussing the faith, how would he spend the hour with this person? Assuming, I guess, they've gotten to know each other, but just like an hour of, of what would they do together? He said this, I would spend 45 minutes on the negative to really show him his dilemma, that he is morally dead. Then I'd take 15 minutes to preach the gospel. Well, similarly, Samuel's kind of doing that. The majority of this message is actually get them to this place to where in verse 19, if you want to glance at 19, this is really where Samuel's going. So that they say, pray for us, that we don't die. We have sinned. That's where he wants to get them to, so they would repent. He wants to, it's going to start with repentance, but it takes a little bit to get there. <laughs> that, that This is not an immediate sense of this. So how did he get them there? How did he lead the people to get to where, verse 19, they're saying, pray for us. We're going to die. We have sinned against the Lord. How did he, how did he lead them there? 
Well, he makes, he makes an argument, a case. It, he uses a word like witnesses, and it's like a trial um, before the Lord. And so Samuel, though, starts in the first five verses of chapter 12, he starts with himself. He puts himself on the stand. And he, and he basically says this, do you see any guilt in me? Samuel's putting himself there. He's speaking as a, an old man ready to go to his reward. And, and, this, and he's re, he can die. It's all been confessed. Everything's been dealt with. He, he didn't want his message lost to scandals or accusations. It was important that they testified to his integrity and that he hasn't discredited them in, in his role. Because remember, God called Samuel to be the, the one who anointed this king, the one who was instrumental in, God, in speaking for God. He said, here I am. Bring charges against me. Samuel asked for witnesses. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Who, whom have I wronged? Who, who have I mistreated? Well, everyone's confessing no one. You haven't taken anything. Uh, the Lord is your witness. Saul's your witness. We're all witnessing. And Samuel's life is an example. It, it's, it's what it looks like when you, when you read uh, first up to this point. Samuel is what it looks like when you live under God as your king. And um, I wonder if Saul was listening. I wonder if Saul's listening to his example. He's right there. See, when God is your king, it doesn't create in you a desire to take and take and take because God will provide for you. When God is your king, your desire is to give and give and give. And we see this in Samuel and we see it perfectly in Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's an example of what Christian leaders should look like. His example sets the stage, though, for the trial. So verse 6 uh, through 11 is this trial, and you could call it this. This is the name of the case. God versus the people. And it's a dead ringer. If you know, you're already, you're, you're okay, we're dead. And here, here's what's on the bounce of this thing. Here's what hangs on this. If you can find any fault in God, your actions were just. But if God is just and righteous, your actions are evil. And so the child begins. Uh, Samuel starts going an overview, a recounting of the Lord's acts from the very birth of the nation of Israel. If you look down, you'll see he's going through different Right from, the, uh, right from the beginning of the birth of their nation to today, he even mentions Samuel himself. He's going over the righteous acts of the Lord. If it, if it was, um, if it, you could record it, all that he wants to say on like a CD and it's like a playlist on your phone, these are the greatest hits. This is, this is like the greatest hits of the Lord's righteous faithful acts being replayed to you in this trial. So you're, you're listening, okay? Remember, you're on trial here. 
And has the Lord done anything wrong? And let me just go over this with you. That's what he's doing. He starts with Jacob, because that's at the end of Genesis, to the Exodus, to the book of Judges, of God saving his people from their sins. Though the Lord's righteous acts. In Egypt, they cried out the Lord. God remembered his covenant, and he raised up saviors in Moses and Aaron. In the land of Israel, they forgot the Lord or God. So he brought attention to them through their enemies like Sisera and the Philistines and the king of Moab. And God raised up judges to rescue them. But then they cried out the Lord. They would forget the Lord their God and God would remember his covenant and he would come and he would rescue them. That's the story with the Lord. He's been faithful. He, all his acts are righteous. It's constantly this rhythm in the playlist is, You've turned to worship other gods, but God's been faithful to you. He's truly a faithful and righteous and gracious God. And then, amen, yes. And then Samuel gets very specific to the most recent act of betrayal. He says in verse 12, and what just happened to them? He, he says, when you saw Nahash, that serpent king, when you saw Nahash, did you lose your mind? You didn't turn to your faithful God like the whole history of the Lord. You were going to make a covenant with him. You turned away from the Lord your God. You say in verse 12, no to God. No, they said no. No, but a king will reign over us. We must have a king. Even though the Lord your God is your king. They forgot that to be God's people means you're under a covenant. God made a promise, a, a pledge, a binding agreement with Abraham. And then with Israel, it wasn't a contract. You know, the difference between a contract and a covenant. You know, a contract is impersonal. A covenant is personal and a perpetual promise. You, you make a contract with your insurance company that if hail hits your house and dents the siding, they can replace it. Maybe, but under a covenant, Israel was under a relationship, uh, an agreement with the Lord personal. In a contract, so what, what they essentially wanted was the security. Yeah, fix these things if they're broken, but we don't want the relationship. We don't want the identity. Uh, they didn't want to be God's people. They were struggling to wiggle their way out. But God had a purpose for Israel because his covenant with him was going to relate the people based on this binding promise with a common goal that united them to be the people God wanted them to be for his purpose. God had a reason for Israel, an agreement between them. Well, at this point, they're not yelling, okay, we lose the case. <laughs> so he, again, turns to a demonstration. So verse 15, if you could do this in a courtroom, this would be pretty dramatic. So Samuel says, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord is going to do. He said, isn't the wheat harvest today? So wheat harvest is like May through June. And that for the land of Israel, that was not the rainy season. 
So this would have been a dramatic miracle to call down rain and thunder during the wheat harvest. But I, this is where, it, is where it clicks for them, but I don't think it was so much the amazing miracle of it, but I think the reality hit. You know, it's your once a year paycheck. And all of a sudden, the Lord, it's in the Lord's hands. Who's angry at you? <laughs> and you're like, okay. Actually, now I will get serious. <laughs> My livelihood, he could destroy it right now. Everything. That, that's who I'm dealing with. This is God Almighty. This, this final piece of evidence led them to cry out to the Lord, pray for us that we don't die. We have sinned. We have sinned against the Lord. Right when their crops were in the hands of the Almighty, it clicked. They pleaded with Samuel. And Samuel didn't water down the message. He said, verse 17, you have committed an immense evil, a great evil and asking for this king. So you may, if you're still kind of like, okay, I mean, why was it an immense evil to ask for a king when in Deuteronomy, it was gonna be given to them anyway? I think, I think it's helpful to think of it in two ways, two ways. So now it made sense, like practical, pragmatic sense, because remember Israel were tribes, not really getting all getting along. And they said, if we're going to fight our enemies, we got to get united. Put us under one king. We'll fight our enemies. Give us a king. You know, so it made, it made sense, like, to unite Israel, and then they could. But in their request to be a king like all the nations, it was a great evil for two reasons. First evil is they rejected the Lord as their king. That's evil. And the second one is this. They were rejecting being the people of God, their identity of God's people. They're rejecting the covenant and the promises God made for them. They were willing to just conform. They wanted the protection, but they didn't want the identity. And so think back, just like uh, Samuel went through all the history of all these names. Think if they could just talk to them. Think of this current Israel at this time. If they could just talk to all these, all these names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, all the judges that saved Israel. And they said, hey, sorry, guys. We were the ones, we were the generation that wanted out of this thing. And they'd say, what? Are you kidding me? You exist. We exist. The very people exist because God has kept his promises to us. Are you insane to think you want out? The whole storyline, that's why we're even here. That's why we exist. And we're going to find out if this is a genuine turning for the Lord. So two, two themes in First and Second Samuel. One is kingship. You're going to learn a lot about kingship. And the other one is repentance. And you'll get there. You'll get there a little farther. But you'll contrast the repentance of Saul with David to see, was this message heeded by the people? Did they repent? And you, as you read, or as you study more,
But that's the first point. That's where Samuel was getting them to. He just wanted, you know, renewal starts with repentance, genuine repentance. Uh, secondly, so renewal is motivated. What motivates this kind of emphasis that Samuel's bringing is both the fear and the love of God. And they go together in this passage really well. The fear and the love of God. These, these last words, so this is from verses 20 to 25 of this chapter, are gospel-rich words. I mean, this is like, verse, you know, some of these verses you want to memorize. So Israel is not to think they're without hope. This is where the hope is given. And these last few verses, they, they really just capture the whole Bible story is a story of a loving God who's created us in his image. We rebelled and turned away from following him as king to go our own way. But God promised to be faithful to us. He is gracious. The possibility of renewal is open. Listen to verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. God will not abandon us. He has staked his very reputation. Do you see the word there? For his great namesake. His reputation is staked on not abandoning us, not forsaking us. And it pleases the Lord. Do you see that in the word? Like he's pleased to make you a people for himself. He's pleased to, to, to be committed to us and to fulfill his vows. He will not let us go. It's a storyline of the whole Bible right here in this verse. God is a faithful husband pursuing his wayward bride. God the king made a binding pledge to never forsake you because it's all based on his grace and his love. Doesn't that just draw you to him? Doesn't that, doesn't that encourage you to come and be renewed? He's committed to finishing what he started with, with us. It invites us to make a, to renew our covenant with him, to be renewed with him. And this is true of the Christian faith. A Christian is not simply under God's authority, though we are, but he's invited us more than just living on this earth as king. He's invited us into his family, into a relationship, into a covenant. A Christian is one in Christ, united to Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection. That's what we're being invited into. He saved us and called us to a holy calling. Jesus has a great purpose. That's what the covenant means. It means he has a common goal. Jesus has a great purpose with his church, with his people. Will we set ourselves on what he's called us to in this world? And that's what we're being renewed in. So renewal is motivated by the fear and love of God. Look at verse uh, 24. Three things are mentioned here, three statements. Above all, fear the Lord. Worship him faithfully with all your heart. And third, consider what great things he has done for you. Just quickly, look at, look at each one of these. Fear the Lord. Now, the word fear has been used quite a bit in different ways. 
Notice right away they, they feared the Lord in verse 18. After the demonstration and their crops were almost destroyed. It says, oh, everyone feared the Lord. Well, that fear, that's a fear of judgment. And, and there's a right place for that. That's a fear of condemnation. They feared the danger of making God angry. They, they feared the risk of losing their wheat crops. They, they feared the consequences of their sin. So it's hitting them right at that point that God is king. God made everything. I mean, we do live on private land. <laughs> this is the Lord's world. And there is a right fear of God that makes you think uh, he is, he's righteous. He's sovereign king over the whole world. So every president... Every policeman, every viceroy and judge and lawyer and human being are all under the authority of Yahweh as we breathe, as we live. And that's a right fear. But, it, but notice what Samuel said in response. He says earlier, he said in verse 20, don't be afraid. Then in 24, he said, be afraid. <laughs> So they feared, don't be afraid, be afraid. So what he means in 20 by don't be afraid is don't be afraid of condemnation. Don't be afraid of judgment if you've repented and you're renewed with the Lord. Don't be afraid of that. Remember Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can speak of God's kingship more than just raw power. He's king through a covenant relationship. This is a story of how Israel became a nation. God called Abraham into a special relationship. He called Israel into this special relationship. Made a covenant with them. They belonged to him. And so, but yet we can say in verse 24, fear the Lord. It's a different fear. It's, fear, it's, it's not the fear of condemnation. It's a fear you would feel uh, with a loving Father who's for you, a loving mother. Well, you don't have to be afraid of condemnation, but it's this healthy fear of wanting to relate to God who's the king. He's, he's a heavenly father. He's your kingly father that we're called to be renewed in. And so fear, fear the Lord. So verse 24, we're just looking at verse 24. Um, and we're noticing this first phrase. Fear the Lord. And then worship him. Notice fear and love are going to worship. It says worship him with all your heart. So part of this, remember chapter 12 is about a renewing the covenant. And if you were to leave today, I want you to take away some of these things. Like, oh yeah, it begins with repentance. And it's motivated by fearing God. He's your heavenly father. And it's about what we worship. It's about my heart. My heart, worship the Lord with all your heart. So to worship or to serve is to live in such a way that it's obvious everything in your life is under the Lordship of Christ. That's what worship is. Um, think of how the New Testament puts salvation. It puts it as, you know, you were in the domain of darkness and you've been transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. So you, a Christian is in the kingdom of Christ. So a Christian is, it's about worship. It's about your heart. Because remember, it's a covenant. It's not just a contract. He actually cares where your heart is. 
Because this is a relationship he has with us. Um, it's not just do this and then you're okay and I won't penalize you or anything like that. It's, that's a contract. This is a covenant. It's a relationship we have with the Lord. He cares about our hearts, our loves, and it's about worship. So we worship God with our time, our money, our words, our lifestyle. And it was tense. Remember, it was very vulnerable for Israel. They were scared half out of their wits with Nahash. So their hearts left the Lord and they were going to go after empty promises that were costly. So think of, your, think of us in these moments of I'm vulnerable, I'm fearful, I'm, I'm feeling very insecure. That's when we're tempted most to turn to empty promises and empty things and false and it's helpful when you think about this to define sin. That's why you're great. You're doing, you're doing the catechism because it always, it always brings out more. There's sin behind the sin. You know, what is sin? Sin is breaking God's law by omission and commission. Thought, word, deed, breaking God's law. And secondly, sin is trusting in anything other than my creator. Therefore, sin is idolatry. It's, a, it's the sin behind the sin. And that's what they were experiencing. Like Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. So to worship the Lord with all your heart is to delight in him. It's to worship the Lord. It's to treasure him. And so sometimes some of our repentances, oh, yeah, I'm sorry I broke your, uh, by what I said, broke God's law. But then you're also saying, and I'm sorry, my heart was so taken up with this, thinking that it was going to promise me this. And I am sorry for the idolatry, the, the, the temptation to run away. So worshiping God from the heart is the remedy to resist the lure of idolatry, right when we most are tempted. <clears throat> so fear the Lord, verse 24, worship him with all your heart and consider Consider all the great things he's done for you. Ponder his grace. Think about how good he is. You know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God is to esteem, esteem God, to admire him, to cherish, to honor, to praise his name. And we do that by enjoying him, by considering how great his love is for us. God has revealed him, his glory and his goodness in creation and in redemption. So there's a lot we can give thanks for in all his provisions for us just to consider what great things. That's renewing your kingdom every morning, considering what great things he's done. You're, you're renewing being a child of God. You're renewing the kingdom. You're renewing God as your father just by considering, you know, Take a walk and just think of all the great things the Lord's done. You, you're renewing your heart before the Lord in that moment um, to be part of, of what he's doing. This is what renewal can look like in the life of a disciple. To walk in the fear of the Lord. Worship the Lord with all your heart. Commune with God as you ponder all the great things he's done. I think one of the unique tensions, though, you may have, may have sensed that in this Old Testament covenant, 
was really hit on verse 15 and then also in verse 25. That there's a condition to this covenant. Both of those mention that if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against him, he's going to hand you over. He'll be against you. Or verse 25, this is how, it, this is how the uh, renewal ceremony ends. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and the king. So notice you'd leave with a really profound tension. <laughs> verse 22 says, the Lord won't abandon me. Verse 25 says, actually, if I keep doing this, <laughs> I'll be swept will. <laughs> I will be swept away. That is a really profound tension. And it is the biggest tension in the Old Testament. How can God be just and the justifier of those who are sinners? This really doesn't get solved until you get to the New Testament. This is where you, Jesus enters a story. He resolves this tension. Jesus came to live a perfect life under God's rule. He never sinned. He obeyed God perfectly. He kept the covenant stipulations. He's the ultimate king we need. And as our champion, he gave himself for us through his death and resurrection. In marriage, you know, we make, we make these vows. They might sound like this. And I heard there was a wedding this weekend. Yeah. That's cool. Good timing. Good sermon illustration. <clears throat> um, so maybe not you guys, but a young couple often will say this in their wedding vows, right? All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Now, I got married in my 20s, too. <laughs> So what I did bring to the way, I don't even know, I, I did not have much in my savings bank account. <laughs> and she didn't either. I mean, we, we didn't add much to this wedding. All I have is yours, okay. All you have is mine, okay. We're both still really poor. <laughs> um, but hey, that's what it is. Jesus calls himself, but Jesus has this for you. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. We come to him with, uh, we're in the black, we're in, the, we're in debt, we're in red. Not in the black, we're in the red. We're, we're oh, we're, we have a great debt to pay. You wanna marry us? Can you pay that debt that no one can pay, that isn't, no human on earth can rescue me from? And that's what the gospel promises. All I have is yours. All my perfect obedience, all my righteousness, I will credit to your account. And all your debt, all your sin, I will pay for on the cross. That's the relationship we need. <laughs> and that's what we get in Christ. Will you say, I do, to Jesus? Will you say, I do? You're my Lord. You're my Savior and you want to do it, it pleases you to invite me into this. Christ in a covenant pledges this to us to take all that is ours. He pays the price. Oh, what truly good news we have. So renewal, renewing your vows is, is motivated by the fear 
and the love of God. And lastly, just two minutes. Renewal is sustained by prayer and teaching. Um, in verse 19, the first thing they say, they say, pray for us. And then Samuel, in verse 23, commits, he says this, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. He wanted to end his time by praying for them and to keep on teaching all these great promises he knows about. He wanted to direct to people. He, no one knew what 13 was going to happen. No one knew in 1 Samuel 13 how they, how they were going to respond. So you'll, you'll find out as you continue. But he's going to pray for them. Up to this point in 1 Samuel, only two people have prayed. Hannah, Samuel's mom, and Samuel are the only people praying. And he says, it would be a sin if I don't, if I fail to pray for you. That's how committed he was to this. People end to teach. So we're sustained in the gospel through prayer, one of the means of grace, and teaching regular ministry of the word to persevere, to repent, to be renewed by grace. This is, um, and Samuel viewed it, viewed it as a sin because Otherwise, we're trusting in our own wisdom. Otherwise, we're just trusting in our own human abilities. Otherwise, we will just look to this world. If we're, if we're just, that's why prayer fits as sovereign God, because it, it like perfectly fits. He is in charge, and we submit ourselves to him. We ask for his grace, for his mercy. And Samuel's confidence to pray was because of verse 22 the Lord will not forsake us. So God will surely do it. Prayer is asking God to come through on what he's already promised. We pray God will complete what he started. And we're gonna keep, so prayer is not negotiating skill, okay? It appeals to God's prior gospel commitments. That's what prayer is. Prayer is appealing to what God has already promised in his word. Jesus, someone uh, greater than Samuel, told Peter that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat, test him. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus is praying for us from heaven. He's praying for us and he's teaching us and he has taught us in his word. He continues to teach us through the Holy Spirit. So, when, um, when anyone goes on a marriage retreat, you begin to realize the distance in your marriage is often just little small steps of drifting apart. And it's often the same in our relationship with the Lord. Do you feel your need to renew in your walk with the Lord? To ponder again uh, the fear of the Lord and to be renewed by his grace and love. <clears throat> he will not abandon you. He's calling you today to renew your relationship with him. He's always faithful to us. He calls him out. And because it's a covenant relationship, he's committed himself to you. You can look at him through the gospel. You can look deeply into the Lord in the gospel. You can look into his face and behold him through Christ. And he's there. He's there for us. Take him by the hands and to 
Look deeply. That's where he is for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your promises that are new every morning because of your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for reminders today of repentance and to fear you, to ponder, consider your great love. Lord, we, we pray that we'd be a church like here, our church back home and this church, just uh, praying for one another. God, this is, um, there's a lot of temptation in the world, a lot of ways to turn toward empty things, Lord. It, it, please, God, we want to pray for everyone to, to hang on to you, to trust you, to not let go, Lord. So we want to commit to that, Father. Thank you for your grace in our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.